Recovery Elevator, episode 134. And I don't want to miss out anymore. I did that enough drinking. Welcome to the Recovery Elevator podcast. My name is Paul Churchill. Thank you so much for joining us. According to the Recovery Elevator sobriety tracker on my phone, I've been sober for two years, 11 months, and three weeks. Today's show is brought to you by HelloFresh. Visit HelloFresh.com and use the promo code RECOVERYFRESH30, no spaces, to save $30 off your first week of deliveries. On today's podcast, I've got four guests. We did a live panel interview at the retreat. You might hear some pine cones falling off the trees, a red-tailed falcon swooshing by. It's a great panel of interviewees with different sobriety times and different backgrounds. It was a fun interview to do. Before we get any further, let's hear from Cafe RE. Before I got sober, I felt alone. It felt like I was the only one in the whole world who found it extremely difficult to stop drinking once I had started. With Cafe RE, I now know I'm not alone. In fact, there are so many people all around this world just like me. In Cafe RE, for $12 a month, I get access to a private, unsearchable Facebook group where I can connect with other like-minded individuals, meet with them face-to-face in several weekly live webinars and meetings, I can get paired with an accountability partner who has a similar sobriety date as mine, I can attend in-person meetups and attend exclusive sober trips to places like Costa Rica. If there's one thing I've learned in sobriety, it's that I can't do this alone. Go to recoveryelevator.com and use the promo code ELEVATOR for your first month free. Again, use the promo code ELEVATOR when signing up for your first month free. If you've been listening to the Recovery Elevator podcast for the last year or so, you know that we had a retreat in Bozeman, Montana, August 24th to 27th. Today is Friday, so I'm recording this about four to five days after the retreat. And to summarize, and I can only speak for myself, it was incredible. I, I can barely describe it. I had no idea what to expect. And as the retreat got closer and closer, I found out that I was way outside of my comfort zone. And you might be saying to yourself, Ooh, Mr. Comfort Zone tells everybody to get outside of his comfort zone. But holy crap, I was so far out of my comfort zone. I got back from Seattle, Washington with a guy's weekend for my fantasy football draft. And when those airplane wheels hit the ground on Sunday before the retreat started, the anxiety just rushed in. I was so stressed. I had so much anxiety. And that's normal. I should have felt trepidation in my stomach and anxiety because people were flying in from all around the country. People were flying in from out of the country. There was so much logistics. There was workshops. There was the weather. There was all kinds of stuff that I didn't really think about but had to deal with that week. But I survived. And I'm so glad that I got out of my comfort zone and put the retreat on. And guess what? I also attended the retreat. Because sure, I'm putting on the retreat. I'm also in recovery. I'm walking this walk that I talked to you guys about on the podcast. And I personally made connections that will probably last a lifetime. So who came? Well, there was 11 males and 19 females from 18 states and two different countries. That would be USA and Canada. What type of people came? Well, nobody had a third leg or a man with six fingers on his left hand, Princess Bride reference. We were just normal people. In fact, everybody was successful and they were leading happy, normal lives. And it was so cool to see the bonds form instantly. I remember going to summer camp when I was a kid. And on day seven, those relationships were so tight. You would leave with lifelong best friends. But our retreat basically started on day seven of a normal summer camp. Sure, there were a couple awkward conversations on the car ride from the airport to the retreat center, but in no time, people started to build these relationships and have intimate, deep conversations because we've got a big thing in common. 
That would be called alcohol. So here are a couple of my personal takeaways from the retreat. First one is a goal can help someone stay sober. Just like I had to stay sober in 2014 from when I had the idea of doing the Recovery Elevator podcast to when it launched, man, that was tremendous sobriety fuel. Same thing me putting on this retreat in January, February, March, April, May, June, July, all of August, I'd look like a total butt dart if I were to go ahead and relapse and then put on a recovery retreat. It just couldn't happen. And I heard the same thing from a lot of people. Everybody at the retreat got a chance to share. Some of them didn't want to share but they all got to share. Everybody got outside their comfort zone and shared. And a lot of them said they almost canceled. They wanted a drink. This was way too far outside of their comfort zone. And a lot of people said that if it hadn't been for that date on the calendar, the recovery elevator retreat, they probably would have relapsed. And unfortunately, not everybody made it off the airplane to the recovery elevator retreat. I'm not saying we lost somebody at the airport or in transit, but a lot of people canceled. About 12 people canceled. And about half of those emails, you know, life happens. People change jobs. This happens. That happens. I get it. But some of it was like reading between the lines. And then some of the emails that I got was just straight up, I drank. I understand you have a sobriety requirement for the retreat, and I'm not going to make it. I'm probably not going to be sober during the retreat. Those are hard emails to read, but this is tough, and not everybody made it. So a takeaway right there. We are doing Peru 2018, the second half of October next year. Go ahead and sign up for that thing as soon as registration opens. You have a great goal to stay sober for. And if you're listening and you attended the retreat, I got to give you kudos. You totally got outside of your comfort zone. It was almost humorous watching you guys come down the escalators and meet us at the Bozeman International Airport. The look on your faces, there was no color in your face. Everybody was terrified. And some people even told me they wanted to get back on the escalator going up, go to the ticket counter, get a flight and go back home. But like I said, within minutes, within a half hour, an hour, deep conversations were being had and the fun started to happen and it didn't end till the last person left. I learned that all 29 of the attendees are very high functioning people and we all have a lot left to use. Our yet scale is pretty impressive. What I mean by that is I haven't gotten my second, third and fourth DUI yet. Another takeaway was I knew it was possible to have fun sober, but damn, I didn't know it was possible to have that much fun sober. My jaw hurt, my belly hurt. I laughed so much that weekend. I learned that Garrett, I think he's from episode 122, that dude is in his most natural place while on the dance floor. He was like watching a dolphin swim in water when Michael Jackson's Smooth Criminal came on. Wow, nice job, Garrett. I kind of knew this was going to be the case, but the most important takeaway was the community. We had eight total workshops. Half of those were developing coping skills in recovery how to deal with negative things that just happen in life. But everybody said on the last day, what are they going to take away from the retreat? The majority said it was the community. The connections that they made at the retreat was the most important thing, hands down. I learned about gravity problems in one of the workshops. Gravity problems are one of the problems you just can't help. You can't do anything to fix them. Just like the gravity pushing down on earth at 9.8 meters squared. You can't do anything about that. No matter how hard you try, gravity's always going to exist. You just need to find a way to say, oh well, and be okay with it. In another workshop, I learned that natural occurring sugars in foods such as fruits send a signal to the brain that says we are full, we are replete. And other sugars that are found in, say, Reese's Pieces don't send that same full signal, which explains why I could probably eat 37 bags of Reese's Pieces. I learned that we cut watermelon slices way too big for the watermelon relay in the recovery Olympics. 
I remember doing this at football camp in high school. We'd eat the watermelon slices in like 15 seconds. There was a gal from Canada eating watermelon for two minutes and 48 seconds while everybody was cheering her on. I learned that there's a timeline for the Recovery Elevator podcast. What I mean by that is people listen to the podcast for about a year before they join Cafe RE. Then people are in Cafe RE for about two to three weeks before they first post. People are in Cafe for about six to seven months before they are comfortable enough to do a meetup or a retreat. I found that fascinating. We can't skip these destinations in the journey to sobriety, but we can speed the pathway up. If you're listening to the podcast and you're trying to moderate, you're trying to control, doing all that jazz, just bite the bullet, just sign up for Cafe RE, just go to an AA meeting, do whatever you got to do, speed that process up. I learned that a lot of people are afraid of grizzly bears. We did a hike in grizzly bear country, and I hired a mountain man to come up and scare the shit out of everybody, and he did a pretty damn good job. Cool thing about that is mountain man named Scotty. He actually was in recovery. I was on the phone with him, and I've met him before. And he's like, yeah, so what is this retreat for? I said, ah, it's, a, it's a recovery retreat for people who no longer drink alcohol. He's like, dude, you know I'm in, you know, you know, you know I've been sober for eight years, right? I was like, no way. And then Scotty, the mountain man, got to share his story. And he had like a big hunting buck knife. He had a rifle with us. And the best part about that was after he scared the shit out of us, he's like, okay, so you're all you're all familiar and comfortable with what to do when a grizzly bear has you pinned to the ground and, and you're basically close to death? Okay, good. Well, let's uh, let's start the hike. And then he gets a fake phone call and he's like, hello? Oh, the horses are out? Damn. Well, I got to go. The horses got out of the pen. Uh, you guys are on your own. And the mountain man just left. <laughs> there were some great looks on faces. I learned that John and Adrian, authors of The Painting and the Piano, are genuinely great people. It was awesome to have them there. John's got 19 years of sobriety. Adrian, I think 9, 10, 11 years around there. And they won the award of Camp Mom and Dad. They were awesome. And again, that book is The Painting and the Piano. I highly recommend you read it. It's one of my favorite recovery books. They're just launching again on September 5th. And John and Adrian, they led a workshop on AA, all about the 12 steps. And John in our workshop, and John in our workshop with just the guys, he walked somebody through the higher power thing in a way that I've never seen done before. There was a gentleman who just couldn't get over the higher power thing in AA. And I've been there, and a lot of people listening can say the same thing. John looked at him and said, okay, well, take a look at the circle we're sitting in. Are all 10 of us more powerful than you are right now? And the gentleman's like, uh, yeah, I, I, I'd say so. And John goes, okay, well, there's your higher power right there. You've heard that G-O-D, God, can stand for group of drunks, but the way he explained it, it was like the light bulb went off in this guy's head, and mine as well. It was really cool to hear. And I'd also like to thank Trisha. She's been interviewed on the podcast. She shared her story in a webinar for Cafe RE. She was phenomenal. Like I said, I was totally outside of my comfort zone. There was a lot of stress and anxiety putting on a retreat. Holy buckets, I had no idea. But Trisha and I, we had weekly phone calls. She was in Texas. I was in Montana. She did such an awesome job helping out with retreats. So Trisha, thank you so much. I could not have done this without you. I'd also like to thank Ty. She edits the podcast and attended the retreat. And Ty can do a virtual jump rope on the dance floor pretty darn sweet. Ty was the one that ran out and got some mores. Got a microphone stand that I forgot and all the other odds and ends. Oh, LaCroix. We didn't have enough LaCroix. That's a big takeaway right there. We needed more LaCroix. So on the Monday before the retreat, I was making the feedback forms that we were going to pass out the last day of the retreat. And I was thinking, why am I even bothering with this? This is going to be the last retreat I'm ever going to do because of the stress, the anxiety. It was tough. It was a hard event to put on. But after 24 hours of the retreat, it became evident that it needs to happen again. It will happen again. People started asking, do you have dates for next year? You're doing this again, right? You know, tell me more about Peru. And I can only speak for myself, but it was magical. 
And I know it wasn't just me who felt that way. I've gotten a lot of emails from people who attended the retreat saying that it, it was a life-changing experience. And it was for me as well. So in short, it's going to happen again. The next one is going to be Peru. Like I mentioned, we're doing it. It's going to happen. And this is something that you can't sign up a month before Peru because you need to have your Inca Trail ticket purchased at least five to six months in advance. This is an expensive trip. It's a big investment, but it's a bucket list item. The Inca Trail and Machu Picchu, they are incredible. I've done this twice and I cannot wait to go back down with a group of like-minded individuals. So email me at paul at recoveryelevator.com if you're interested in this trip. We'll get you on the list and you can go to the website, recoveryelevator.com, go to retreats and get more information about Peru right now. This trip will be capped. This one in Bozeman, we had 29 people. We can't have that many people that go to Peru. So sign up early, get that sobriety goal in place. doesn't matter how much sobriety time you have at the time you sign up. Oh yeah, I think the average sobriety time at the retreat was probably 10 months. Yeah, it was not a get sober retreat. People had a lot of sobriety time at the retreat. Now, if you're up to speed of all 134 episodes of the Recovery Elevator podcast, you may have noticed at about the 24 second mark, something different was dropped. This podcast episode, and I think the remainder for the month of September, are sponsored by HelloFresh. Now, I'll get to the talking point, which I'm required to read in order to fulfill the responsibilities of the sponsorship. But I want to comment on a couple things that just popped into my head while cooking one of these HelloFresh meals that are pretty dang cool. And I want to share those with you. Number one, I think this is an applicable sponsor for this podcast. Nutrition is huge in recovery, especially in early recovery. Now, this is not the first sponsor that's approached me for airtime on this podcast. A couple months ago, I got an email from eHarmony saying they were interested in sponsoring the podcast. Now, I'm not going to take a sponsor from just anybody, and I know who's listening to the podcast. It's people who are wanting to quit drinking or in early sobriety. I personally don't think dating in the first year is that good of an idea. So thank you, eHarmony, for reaching out to us, but it's not the best fit. For those of you who do have longer-term sobriety, then great. And ladies, you can find me on eHarmony. Just look for Sparkle Pony 12 I'm just kidding. That's a joke. Or is it? So here's why this is a big deal. Big deal for recovery in general. Number one, they found this recovery podcast about quitting drinking worth it. Number two, they found the listeners worth it. Yes, you who are listening right now are worth it. And I hope this opens up the door to other recovery podcasts. Now, big companies like HelloFresh, they don't just blindly spit around advertising dollars. I imagine the marketing department sat in a room together and talked about this. They didn't say, oh, a recovery podcast. That's just a bunch of bums underneath a freeway drinking out of a brown bag. No way will they ever buy a product. In fact, it couldn't be further from the truth. So talk about shredding the shame, eradicating the stigma. That's the number one goal why I put myself behind the microphone. This is a big step forward. Okay, so what is HelloFresh? It's the meal kit delivery service that makes cooking more fun so you can focus on the whole experience, not just the final plate. Each week, HelloFresh creates new delicious recipes with step-by-step -step instructions designed to take around 30 minutes for everyone from novices to seasoned home cooks who are short on time. Most importantly, this is less than $10 a meal. So for $30 off your first week, go to HelloFresh.com, use the promo code RECOVERYFRESH30, and there's no spaces in that. Now, before accepting this sponsorship, I said, hey, can you please ship me some of your product? I want to make sure this is a really good fit. And Ben and I, my awesome standard poodle, 
we just made a really good meal, believe it or not, in under 30 minutes. The kitchen, it did not burn down. I had about 70% of the tools needed. I didn't have a grater. I didn't have a pounding mallet. I didn't have a slotted spoon. I never, I never understood why you'd want a spoon with holes in it, and I didn't have a potato masher. But Molly Churchill, you'd be proud. I am a single dude living alone, but Ben and I, we crushed it. And the meal was really good. Ben didn't exactly gobble down his green beans. I finished him for him, but he loved the chicken. Oh yeah, and this stuff that I'm talking about, HelloFresh, I don't need to be saying this right now. I've already fulfilled those requirements, but here's a cool thing that didn't happen while making this meal. When I finished the meal, gazed into Ben's eyes and said, well, how about a walk into the sunset, buddy? I realized I wasn't drunk. I didn't drink while making that meal. A lot of us in early sobriety, we find ourselves with a lot of free time. Free time can be extremely dangerous. It was hands-on. I had to read the instructions. I was engaged making this meal. found it almost meditative at times. It was really cool. And goodness gracious, enough out of me. Let's hear from the people at the retreat. I'm excited. And welcome to the Recovery Elevator podcast. Now, this is a special episode because it is recorded at the very first Live Recovery Elevator retreat which is taking place in Bozeman, Montana. We are not in a studio. We are outside. I can see squirrels. I hear chipmunks. I hear an airplane flying above. And I'm here with four guests from the retreat. I'm going to introduce them, but I'll let them say their name, where they're from, how long they've been sober. We got Kristen. We got Dave. We have Amy. And we have John. Kristen, how are you? I'm well, Paul. Thank you. Uh, my name's Kristen Kingery, and I have been sober for 238 days. Boom. Nice job. Hi, Paul. I'm Dave. I'm from Atlanta, and I've been sober for 12 days. Nice job, Dave. My name is Amy, and I have been sober 11 years this month, and I am from Plainfield, Illinois. Hi, Paul. My name's John Lipscomb. I'm from South Florida, and I've been sober 18 and a half years. Nice. Awesome. I'm going to ask Amy a question first. Amy, you, you've been sober for 11 years, you said, right? Yep. Why did you come on a retreat out in Bozeman, Montana, about recovery? I heard about it on the podcast, and I've never done anything even remotely like this. And I, if you remember, I emailed you saying, am I too old? Is it too far? And is this too weird? And you answered very quickly. None of those were, would matter. And so I felt welcome. I do remember that email. Yeah. And I put a face with a name to that email. And Dave, how about you? What about this retreat? You're, you're sitting at, when we first met, you had 10 days of sobriety. I think right now you're day 12 or day 13. What about it sparked your interest? Like Amy, I'd never done anything like this before. Um, I was certainly searching for answers. I was searching for tools. Uh, I knew that in the podcast and in Cafe RE, I'd found you know people going through what I was going through, like-minded individuals, and so I the just the spirit of the re of the retreat resonated with me and motivated me and got me here. And Kristen, how about you? So I had done something like this before. I'd been on a uh, meditation uh, yoga retreat in Massachusetts, so that wasn't the reason. But I have always wanted to come to Montana, so I was very excited about that and had promised to scare the shit out of myself every day. And this really scared the living shit out of me to come here to with a bunch of people I didn't know. And it excited me at the same time, so I decided that was something that I had to do. Perfect. And John, I invited John and his wife, Adrian, to the retreat. They are the authors of The Painting and the Piano. And John, thank you so much for coming. And tell us, what, what, have, you, what have you experienced so far at this retreat? Well, thank you, Paul. We've had a great time here. The cohesiveness, the group since day one has really come together in a matter of a couple of days. Um, the willingness, the openness, the honesty that was shared throughout. The location is amazing. It just the whole weekend has just been a beautiful thing to witness. Perfect. I had a question for Dave here. What did you think it was going to be like? 
right? Before you got off the airplane, you had these thoughts. And then how does it compare to what it's like right now? I don't know that I had any set expectations. Having never been to AA, I had a picture in my head of what that meeting might have looked like. It might have been from a movie or a TV show. And so I pictured uh, bad coffee, a uh, concrete floor, and metal chairs. Now, we do have not the greatest coffee uh, and hard chairs, but, you know, it's it's certainly been sharing, but it's been it's been so much more, right? It's been cornhole tournaments, and it's been small group sharings. You've done a great job of every single team that we've been broken down into is always a different group of people. So I believe I've connected with if not every single person here at a very deep level, I've certainly at least surface level connected with everyone. So it's just been a great experience of having fun, sharing struggles, tears. It's been great. And this is a question for Kristen. What's what surprised you so far on this retreat? I was actually very surprised at how easy it was to talk to everybody here. I'm not extremely comfortable around strangers. And because I've been chatting with a lot of these folks for a year or more on the Facebook page, it was really very easy. And you kind of didn't have to go through the small talk. You know, we got right down into the, you know, the down and dirty deep secrets and just connected with a lot of people on a, on a great level. And I wasn't expecting it to be as easy as it was. Amy, actually comment on that same question. What, what have, what have, what's been surprising about you so far as a treat? I also have really enjoyed that the camaraderie here has been wonderful. I um, was happily surprised I'm not the oldest, and I've never been really much out of Illinois, and it is absolutely beautiful here, and uh, the peace and the setting. And so I, 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 it's just been, but the, the setting is set up so much for comfortable sharing because I really feel like we're telling secrets in the woods. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, John, we, we talked about this in a workshop earlier. Can you comment on how important community is to getting and staying sober? I think community, at least in my program, is almost everything. My program's mostly a social program where I connect with people through AA meetings, through people that I sponsor. And without the, without the camaraderie and fellowship, I don't know if I'd be here today. And so the, these kind of types of meetings or conventions are just so important, I think, for my ongoing sobriety and for new sobriety. And to see everybody open up so quickly. Everybody jumped off the ledge and took a risk by being here. And they're here today, and they're opening up to everybody. And we have a family that we formed in three days, which is amazing. We've all been to summer camps. I remember camps when I was a kid. It's like we started on day seven at this, at this recovery elevator summer camp retreat. And we, like you mentioned, we immediately jumped in and started having real conversations from the first 20 minutes. But I got to tell you guys, picking these, picking these retreat attendees up at the airport, it, it, was, it was comical. It, it, I could just see the white faces coming down the escalators. They all wanted to go back up the escalators, get back on their airplane. Many of them told me stories that they almost canceled many times. And can one of you four comment on a time that maybe you thought the retreat wasn't right for you or you didn't want to go and 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 how how afraid were you to come to this retreat so i didn't really have too many reservations until i was getting on the second connecting flight from chicago to here and i almost ran back up the jetway to, and not get on the plane and it, it i was just was like what am i doing you know but it was the best thing i did to keep coming so but that was the only time i was really afraid 
So, Paula, I, I had several reservations post booking the trip. I was still struggling with sobriety. I was still skipping a couple of days here and then falling off one day there. And, you know, the, you had stated the criteria of, you know, need to be sober for a certain amount of time. And I couldn't quite remember what that was. So I actually went to your website multiple times to check and triple check and quintuple check, like what exactly was that requirement? And I felt like I wasn't meeting that standard uh, on some level. And so I certainly thought about quitting or, or canceling just on the basis of that. But there was another part that said, uh, sort of like what Kristen said, you know, it's like, what am I doing? But you look in the mirror at home and it's, what am I doing, right? So you've got to do something different and you push through whatever that reservation was that I had. And I'm thankful for it. And I want to hear from each of you four. What's a takeaway that you've learned on this retreat? We've painted rocks. We've done workshops about the 12 steps. We've done workshops of how to start your morning with a great routine. We're going to do a nighttime hike. We've heard shares. What's a takeaway on this retreat that you're going to implement in your lives to help you stay sober? The part that I'm going to do is open my mind to the idea of Facebook. As a professional hider, the idea of Facebook was probably not an attractive idea to me, but since we've really made real connections here, this isn't just like a vacation where, you know, there's other people lounging by the pool. This this was intimate. And so I, I truly feel like I will ask one of my young adults to push some golden buttons and teach me how to use Facebook because I really feel like I will would miss it if I didn't. And I don't want to miss out anymore. I did that enough drinking. My takeaway is kind of what I've always believed is stay connected with people. But this is a whole new group of people here that um, gives me a lot more opportunity to stay connected with through Facebook and you know, and use the technology that's available, the podcast. Paul, you're doing such a great job on the podcast, and that connects a whole lot of people who who could potentially be friends and help with the struggles. And uh, my takeaway is just take it all in, you know, take take Facebook, take, you know, the AA meetings, take whatever you can and make it all part of your program. I think the, the biggest takeaway that I'm, that I've experiencing here is just the variety of people who are sharing the same struggle. So we have old, we have young, we have West Coast, East Coast, and Texas, and Canada. And uh, <laughs> we have economically well-off. We have some that are on a different level, and we have everything in between. And it's been really amazing to hear the different stories, the different backgrounds, the different details. Uh, but then with this same thread of behavior and shame and sick and tired of being sick and tiredness running through it and it's been a it's actually been a very powerful thing for me uh i think so i think my takeaway is to always remember that there is power in the group and that you're not alone and that in the moment when you when you are alone right you can say wait a minute i've got 28 other examples and i can call up james's share or trisha's share or whoever's and i can source those details and perhaps calm myself and get through another day so the, the takeaway for me is to let go of fear and to be intimate. And I'm not good at that. I haven't been for years, and it's one of my biggest isms. But I've been very intimate with a lot of people here, and they've done the same. And I've learned a lot, and I've found that I've helped a lot of people by doing that. So being open and intimate is, is really um, what I'm going to do more of with people who are currently in my life and in developing relationships with new people as well. And what's been the best part of the retreat for you so far, and, 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 and actually go first, is I, I've had a smile this entire weekend, and the highlight was Amy Burroughs is the best stand-up comic that I've ever seen in my entire life. 
And she's on this panel right now, and uh, she's, she's speaking right now. But I was blown away, blown away. I, I saw her when I first met her at the retreat. Um, you saw an apple, and then you got an orange. I've never laughed that hard, just raw comedy. I don't know how you do it, Amy. That was the best part by far, and we're going to hear the third story. Are we? Mm, that's a yes. She's got a third, yes, we are. A, a third routine coming tonight. So what's been the best part for you? So I've had a couple. I think the probably the best thing was meeting some of the folks that I've I've been communicating with over Facebook. You, Paul, and Trisha, been several folks that have just been really important to to my recovery and being able to meet them in person and touch them and see them and and so I think that's that's been probably the number one thing for me. I would echo the Amy comedy routines of. Uh, not laugh that hard in about six to nine months, uh, as I can recall. The other, the other piece, though, is just how, if anyone out there listening thinks this is adult summer camp and that's total cheeseball, it absolutely is cheeseball. <laughs> and we completely embraced it as a group. And, you know, all of the fun events have been just incredible from the cornhole to the comedy to the singing to the, there's a prom queen tonight, I think, or something. Um, and so that part's been awesome just to, I think you said it in the in the in the advertisement, right? It was to have fun being sober with like-minded people. You know, the, the one of the funny jokes from the cornhole tournament was, uh, you know, normally as you're playing cornhole inebriated, the math skills get worse over time. We played sober last night. The math skills still got worse over time, and we all had a hoot laughing about it. You know, what exactly was the score um, as the night went on, and, and we saw everyone's uh, prowess as it as it moved toward the championship. So. Embracing the embracing the camp was the best part. I would say for me, I might have been the one that stood up and did comedy, but the wit and the humor and the intelligence and and that is um, one of the things I love about recovering people, the survival skills and the mental agility. And once the foggy brain goes away, man, these people are on fire. And I by no means considered myself a funny person unfortunately my stand-up was a part of my real life and um my poor husband would just poop his pants if he heard me but um he's so thankful I'm I'm sober I feel like at least we won't file for divorce I I had no idea that the joy of you know 30 people laughing is a power source that is beyond human and it, it's spiritual for me, and humor is just a, a, something I did not expect to get in sobriety. There was no joy in Mudville by the last, at least last five, ten years of my drinking were the worst, blackest, grayest time of my existence. And to have sunshine and joy, it's like Wizard of Oz when it goes to color. Um, obviously, Amy's stand-up routine rocked. I had no idea that Adrian was such a watermelon-eating animal. <laughs> so she'll be entered in probably the Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest. You know, but all in all, you know the group, I love the movie Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer because the community kind of reminds me of that. Well, we're all misfits, and we're all just a little bit broken, and we're on Misfit Island. And if you remember in the movie, that's where they get picked up from, and they get dropped off, and they're all broken toys. But when we're together, we are one powerful force and, uh, and that's what it takes to stay sober and, and survive. It's just been a great, great weekend. Awesome, John. So here we are today, August 26th, Bozeman, Montana, around 4 o'clock. It's about 82 degrees. Beautiful day. Let's back it up a little bit, Kristen. You know, tell us a little bit about you. Maybe take one to two minutes and tell us a little bit about your story and, you know, what made you decide to come. A little bit about your drinking. 
A little bit about my drinking. So my drinking career didn't really start until about 2001 when I was introduced to the Kettle One Vodka Gimlet and um, went downhill from there until I realized about five years ago that, you know, no, I don't think I have a problem, but let me Google it just in case and let me see. And so moderation became what I was doing. I bought books and took courses and I was going to moderate and uh, that didn't work. And so I quit for 30 days, got this, kept drinking for two years, quit for 90 days, figured I had it, and then decided that tequila was a really good idea on New Year's Eve, and a lot of it, and it wasn't. And so my bottom was New Year's Eve. And so I had been a part of Cafe Ari, I think in 2014, my first time I first time I stopped drinking. And so I uh, just continued with that. And reached out to people and went to AA meetings and just started to meet other sober people and realized that I could have fun. And I uh, started telling my friends and surprisingly, I've not lost any friends. I actually, even though I was an alcoholic and, and did a lot of drinking, had created a lot of wonderful friendships with, with some very good caring people who have been extremely supportive, my family and my friends. And so when I decided to do this retreat, you know, again, just to, to get outside of my comfort zone, so many people are just so excited that I was doing it and couldn't wait to hear about it, except my mother who was sure that you were in a cult and that she'd never see me again. So, so I gave her your name, phone number, and address just in case I went missing. That's fair. I've done the same. And I've texted her a few times to let her know that I'm alive and well. But everybody else was very excited for me. And, and so that was really, it was just so, it's just so cool to see other people who, are normal drinkers to to be able to be excited for me and my new life and and to be supportive of that. So, it's it's really been a a wonderful almost eight months for me. Uh, I come from a family where my grandparents were teetotalers, and there was not a lot of alcohol in my parents' house either. Um, so I'm not exactly sure uh, where I became the firecracker. But in uh, college, uh, certainly I was. Um, referred to as always lapping the pace car uh, with with me and and my friends I certainly was more wild and more willing to stay up a couple more hours than than the than the rest of the guys I got into a job uh, that was lots of travel high stress technology coding Silicon Valley expense accounts uh, we justified all of it because it was all you know Napa high-end Cabernet Sauvignon and it was a shit ton of it and I think that's where the habit was really ingrained. The, the, the neurological pathways were deeply ingrained at that point. I went through a divorce uh, that I was not not a fan of at the time. And, you know, surprisingly went into a period of sobriety after that in order to deal with the emotions and not wreck everything. And then at the time, we were trying to reconcile. And so she was in the house making a gin and tonic. And I said, going to have one of those? And that one became... I don't even know how many. And by the end of the night, she was threatening to call the cops and I was on the verge of assault and just felt like a complete piece of shit. That didn't really do anything to derail, right? So it, it kept going and uh, worked my way through the divorce, singlehood, formed a new relationship. But somehow, even underneath what should have been better times, uh, the, the, being the, the pathway was just the wheel was greased, right? And the volume on a given instance of drinking just ramped. And it was, I called it the slow drip. You know, people would ask me, man, you drank a lot tonight. 
and it wasn't that I was going crazy. It wasn't that I was tearing the, the, the walls down. It was just, you know, they would look at the, the empties after it was over. And I just said, well, but I was on a slow drip. I'm in control. It's fine. And it was really the volume and the, the, the hangovers and, again, going to work and a work trip and reinforcing that with everyone's drinking hard. I just really, you know, when I plugged into your podcast, it was the sick and tired of being sick and tired. Just really, that was the first one that just punched me in the gut. And then, you know, the second one was listen for the similarities and not the differences. And so even though I didn't have the DUIs and I didn't have the jail time and I didn't, I wouldn't even ascribe my divorce to it, uh, uh, to, to alcohol. I, you know, I'd say I, I don't have all of these bad things, but I have the exact same problem as the worst, nastiest story that I've heard here at the, at the retreat. And so that's my story. And uh, here I am. And it's, I'm grateful uh, to be on the other side. I'm grateful to have embraced a decision to be sober. I've struggled. I, again, I've bounced along even after signing up for the retreat. But this is a completely different plane and a completely different um, comfort level with the decision, with the self-confidence, I think. I, we, we, you've referred to lack of self-confidence and drinking eroding confidence, and that surely happened to me. And I, I feel like there's a new chip on my shoulder. And I needed that as an individual. And I think I, I feel like I've gained that as a, as a sort of a group uh, a group chip on on my shoulder as well, which has been uh, a very nice thing, and I, probably probably my best souvenir. I'll I'll take home. I started uh, drinking at 13. I was as sick as my secrets. I remember my first drink. Sorry, kids, better than giving birth. I know what I wore. It was the summer I turned 13, and I was at a kegger, and I absolutely had the epiphany that this was exactly the missing link. I didn't grow up with any drinking, and any time the word alcohol came up, my mom got really riled up about it. And When my older brothers and sisters would be talking about it, she got really angry, so I was on to that this was something really good. And I remember thinking, no wonder this makes mom so crazy because the word fun and mom didn't intermingle. And my dad asked me uh, later on after I sobered up, he's like, how did you get started so young? I said, did you hear mom bitching? He goes, hell, that's how I stopped, you know? So I'm like, we had the opposite effect, dad. And I never ever once considered stop drinking. I only wanted to stop the consequences. And a drunk teenage girl is uh, a boyfriend's a handy feature. They're your driver and your protector. And I always kept... um, that in my life and the only thing I ever considered was knocking down the consequences but if anybody talked to me about not drinking that there was crazy talk and I, I would just change the situation and really the last few years of my drinking no matter what anybody said to me or whatever and I was more of a binger I never got really at the daily level but my oldest son on my last binge was all pumped up and of course he had a girlfriend with him <laughs> And so he said to me, you know, Mom, it would have been a really handy thing if you could have gotten over your childhood before you started mine. I hate kids that know what's going on. So that was one of the the last plants of the seed. But I really thought, okay, you're in your 40s. It's time to be a grown-up. It's time to martyr it out, wear some gray clothes. You know, you watch, like, the news and start ordering the paper. And, and that's one of the things that um, I love about sobriety because I didn't think there would be this much joy or I probably would have been less 
adverse to it. And so I love, I, I love one reason I caught on to Paul's podcast is the positive and, 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 and the young people and the energy and the vacations and coming down these things and all of this stuff. I didn't know it was out there because when you watch cops on TV in your house coat and don't open the blinds, a lot of information just doesn't come through. And my kids later on are like, you haven't watched cops since you got sober. And I'm like, I found my real people. They're, they're in the real world. You know, they're not only on channel 32, you know. I'm thankful for my bottom now. I obviously wasn't at the time, but my family, you know, loved me. But when I went into my first meetings, they said, we're going to introduce you to a stranger and you've never met her before. And her name's Amy. And um, that's been a wonderful, wonderful thing because we're talking about cheese ball. You can't love other people until you love yourself. And I was like, oh, oh, oh. And, oh, oh, God, it's the truth. So, you know, I, I've learned that. And, and I never, ever liked who I was, where I was. And now that both of those things are untrue for me. So, you know, what everything I wanted alcohol to give me, I got sober. And I no longer puke in the shower or lose my dog. So. That's a tough act to follow. So. You know, Amy, I used to put in invisible fences for dogs, so I could have helped you with the dog. But anyway, my drinking career was was pretty normal. I started, you know, in high school, um, but alcohol has had a devastating effect on both sides of my family. My mother passed away at age 47 from it. I didn't really know her. She was in treatment for five years when I was little. I had an uncle on my father's side die, uncle, another uncle on my father's side die. All my grandparents basically died from alcoholism. So it, So I'm the first one in my family to get sober. So I started in high school, you know, mostly weekend kind of drinking. And then in college, you know, that kind of lit the match right there because then I turned into a daily, daily drinker. And I was a daily drinker until I turned age 40. And I was a blackout drinker as well. But from 20 to 30, I had a lot of fun. And I won't lie about that. I met a lot of great people, a lot of great parties, visited a lot of incredible places. But from 30 to 40 was kind of the lost decade. And that's when the consequences started adding up. I didn't have a lot of consequences till then, but from 30 to 40, I was divorced, got involved in an affair, lost my children, had three DWIs, didn't file, much less pay the IRS for three years. I was close to foreclosure. Company that I was representing was close to taking it back from me. And the, and the consequences went on and on and on, all as a result of my drinking. And January 5th of 1999 is the day that I got sober and I remember looking into the mirror as I was checking into inpatient, not recognizing who was looking back at me. I looked back, and there was an old man staring me in the eyes, and his eyes were black. The pupils were black. His eyes were, the whites of his eyes had turned yellow. My skin was yellowing, and I was shaking like a paint can shaker. I noticed I had a problem about a year prior to getting sober because I started drinking in the morning. I go, man, there might be an issue here. But I, it was maintenance drinking, and I had to drink at 5 or 6 o'clock in the morning. I had to chug those first couple of beers and gag it back up and basically throw up and force them down me again just to feel halfway normal, and then I would drink throughout the day. The final three weeks before January 5th, I drank around the clock. So I would be able to drink for two hours, I would pass out. Drink for two hours, pass out. And that continued without eating. So when I checked into detox, I'm not going to be overly dramatic. I don't know. It was a day or two or three days away from death, but it was it was close enough to the edge where my foot was over, and that scared me to death. So I went into treatment. 
for five days into um, detox, and I came out of the hospital, and I started going to AA meetings, and AA saved my life. And, and it's a combination of a lot of things. You know, I worked the steps. I, with, I got a sponsor, went to a lot of AA meetings. I went to outpatient. But my biggest breakthrough was I wrote a letter to my mother, and uh, who had passed away, as I said, at 47. And I didn't realize all the resentment and anger I had towards her. And once I read that letter in front of my outpatient group, I felt this dark gray cloud lift off of my shoulder, and all the compulsion and desires to drink had left me at that point at six weeks. So I feel extremely fortunate and lucky, and, and I hold on to the whole community. And that's, that's how I stay sober is the people in the community and then my AA groups. And so it's been a great ride. You know, I didn't come in, you know, looking for a spiritual awakening or relationship with a higher power. But that's what I got in return. And I have a life way beyond my expectations or way beyond what I deserve. So that's kind of my story summed up. Thank you, John. Now, one thing we've done a lot here at the retreat is laugh. I've heard eruptions of laughter come from all parts of the cabin at all times of day and all times of night. It's been a lot of fun. One of my favorite quotes from the weekend is, I can't wait to tell my friends what we did at rehab camp when I get home. <laughs> I just laughed. <laughs> for one, this is not a rehab camp. Uh, you know, there was a sobriety requirement for that. You know, we're not a detox facility. But again, if you're, if you're listening and, and you, you got 15, 20, 10 days of sobriety and you want to come to retreat in the future, go for it. I highly recommend that. Get, get, you, get outside your comfort zone and attend a retreat. It's, for lack of a better term, it's, it's been rehab camp. <laughs> it's awesome. And, uh, you know, what are you going to say to somebody who asks you, when you get off the airplane back home on Monday, say, hey, how was rehab camp? What would you guys do? Well, that's a tough question, Paul. What am I going to tell people? Probably just that, you know, we did. We laughed a lot. We had a lot of fun. And, you know, for me, I learned that I can have a lot of fun sober. Paul, since I'm in early sobriety, I, I don't know that I'm going to jump off the plane and tell everybody that, that I was at rehab camp, but I will proudly say that and share with anyone that, you know, I've made this decision and that I invested in that decision this past weekend, right? It was a financial, logistical time investment in my sobriety, and, and I looked at this as a Kickstarter for my sobriety. And I think that that would probably be the message would be it was an investment and I would make it over and over again if it propelled me down the path of sobriety. Most people don't ask me a lot of questions because unfortunately I answer. Most people knew I was coming as soon as I sp spent the money. I kind of did an accountability thing. My home group will be, oh, well, they'll probably have a parade, but... Um, <laughs> I've never flown on a plane before. I've never been to Montana. I've never left. Any, I've gone on a trip ever without my husband. Uh, oh, I should mention it's our 34th wedding anniversary Sunday. He is my uh, backer. And uh, so I got it. You know, what do they call it when they're, yeah, he's my sponsor uh, financially. And so I got to give him creds, right? But the people that don't want to go on retreats that I'm around, I try to encourage them. But if you don't come here with an open mind and want to be here, I'm not sure you have the same experience, just like sobriety. People kept tell telling me and stuff. So for me, I'll just give the honest truth. I had a blast. And if you're really nosy, go your own self and figure it out. Because, you know, I don't, I don't sell sobriety, but I think uh, attraction, not promotion, is the way to go. I say, you know, actually take the leap and jump off the ledge and go for it. It's been a blast. You know, I tell people to come in with no expectations. 
and uh, with an open mind and enjoy yourself. It's been a, it's been an incredible weekend. Learned a lot. Met some great people. And, you know, without big risks, you can never have big rewards. So take the risk and, and go for it and uh, and just have a lot of fun. It was great. We've had a lot of fun. And fortunately, this retreat is not over yet. We've still got a nighttime hike. We're going to watch the sun go down here. A couple more shares, a couple more personal stories from the attendees. And we've got a uh, we've, we've got a sober dance tonight. We have a prom queen. We have a prom king. We have a ballot. It's going to be a blast. And I'm glad this retreat's not over yet. I'm having a blast, and I don't want this moment right now to end. And that's what it's all about. So, Kristen, Dave, Amy, John, we've got almost 30 years of sobriety on this panel right here. Over 30, if you can count myself, almost three years this coming September. It's been a blast. And thank you so much for being part of my sobriety and helping me learn all these tools and tricks. So thank you guys for taking this leap of faith for our first recovery elevator treat. It's been awesome. Thank you guys. Thanks, Paul. I want to touch base on alcoholism, more specifically the ISM at the end of the ism. For me, that stands for incredibly short memory. I never want to forget what my last drink was, how terrible I felt in summer of 2014. Hell, I had a failed suicide attempt. I never want to forget that. But I interviewed a gal named Megan, which that interview is going to come out in two to three weeks. You've got to listen to it. At the time of the recording, she's got 11 hours of sobriety. And she was talking about the anxiety that is probably coming right about now. I could only handle the anxiety for, for two days, three days, four days tops before I drink again. And then that downward spiral of addiction would just take hold. It was a hard interview to do because I was right there with her. I, I could just feel her pain. And so don't forget how painful it was. And if you're in the middle of it right now, don't forget those acute pain points that you're feeling right now. Because it's that pain that is going to cause the change. And before we depart, I want to say my favorite quote that I heard at the retreat was, I can't wait to get home and tell my friends what we did at rehab camp. Oh my God, I lost it when I heard that. And it kind of was a rehab camp. And it wasn't a get sober retreat. Like I said, the average person probably had 10 months to 16 months of sobriety. We had people there. Ty's got 10 years. John had 18. Adrian had 11 or 10 or 9, something like that. But this was a retreat modeled off the summer camp experience where we just had fun outside. We laughed. We had campfires. We did hikes. We did games. We did shamores. We had a dance. We had a prom king and prom queen. I forgot about that. It was amazing. I'm still riding this pink cloud from the retreat. Okay, recovery elevator. We took the elevator down. We got to take the stairs back up. We can do this.